morning. This is Inside Divorce, and my name is Hindel Grossman. I'm here with Tony Paluzzi, and we're going to be talking about parent coordinators today. I tend to get involved in those real high conflict cases where parents, uh, you know, when they come to me, sometimes they don't even want the other parent to have air. They don't want them to breathe. So I have to educate them on um, some very effective ways to communicate. Tony, good morning. Good morning, Indel. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself before we get started on that new topic of uh, parenting coordinators? <laughs> sure. Um, so I started my professional career as an attorney. I did that for uh, over 20 years. And um, at the end of, in 2002, I decided it wasn't working for me anymore. I was a trial attorney. I did uh, criminal and civil work. So I made a career switch, and my encore career was that of a coach. And I started to work with um, individuals and then with relationships. And when I learned about parenting coordination, I realized it was a perfect opportunity for me to blend my skills as an attorney and as a coach and to help people get to a better place, which is one of my core values. Uh, so, Tony, how long have you been a parent coordinator? So I completed my studies about three years ago. And for the past two years, I've been actively engaged in uh, parenting coordination along with my coaching practice. Okay. And um, when you get appointed as a parent coordinator by the court, um, what's the method for getting that done? Well, uh, that's a great question because uh, finally two weeks ago, the uh, uh, probate and family court came out with a standing order that kind of um, gave the, the guidelines as to how this is going to happen. Before that, it was basically attorneys agreeing that a client needed a parenting coordinator, and sometimes it was no more than an entry in a, in a final judgment that said, Tony Pelosi will be appointed as a parenting coordinator. And that made it real challenging because you don't really know what your authority is and how to handle, uh, you know, what your rights are. All right. Before we get too deep into this new standing order from the probate court and family court, yeah. tell us what a parent coordinator is. Sure. So parenting coordination is a, is a hybrid function. It starts. It started with uh, mental health professionals being called in to support clients that the courts were incapable of helping uh, when it came to resolving conflict. Um, since then, it has morphed. It's it, there's an education function to try and teach parents how to um, recognize the impact of their actions on their children. There's a facilitation uh, conversation facilitation function. Uh, I bring my mediation skills to the process as well. Sometimes, uh, hope, hopefully, getting the parents to um, come to an agreement themselves, because thereby I'm empowering them to not need a parenting coordinator and to learn the skills that will carry them uh, you know, forward. And then uh, the, the unique aspect of parenting coordination is that if the parents are unable to agree on a, a resolution, they give me by contract the authority to make an arbitrated binding decision that they have both agreed in advance, they will uh, adhere to subject to being uh, changed by a judge. Uh, so let's uh, say, for example, that the two parents agree that they have a problem communicating about their children. And then yep. they sign some documents in court and that the judge approves of it. Is that right? Yep. And then you're, right. you're right. appointed because you're either selected by the parents or the judge appoints you under the new Correct. standing order. So then what's, your, what's the next thing you do with the parents? Okay. So in order to have a solid foundation for the work, I then would send out a letter to, uh, and I do it by email, but it goes to both counsel and to both parents. 
And I send them a copy of the AFCC, the Association for Family and Conciliatory Court Guidelines for Parenting Coordination, because that's the, the, the standard that I operate by. And I want them to know what that is. I also send them um, a pro forma of my service agreement and policies and guidelines so they can understand here's the process that we're going to engage in. And it's only after we've worked together as a team of four or five to, to uh, make sure that the uh, documents uh, are in line with their intention and the order of the court that I will then start uh, my okay, work. When you say a team of four or five, do you mean the two parents and the two attorneys and you? Exactly. At that stage, that's generally what's happening. The, the attorneys are still uh, involved. So, uh, they're sending me copies of court orders, maybe a guardian ad litem report. Um, if there's any particular areas on, that were subject of temporary orders or motions, I'll get that as okay. well. And do you ask the parents to sign releases so you can have access to the children's doctors and therapists? I, I do. Uh, it, it, there's a, one of the things that the rule uh, has said now is that anything as far as uh, confidentiality and privilege that the ch child holds, holds has to be uh, dealt with by a guardian ad litem, specifically appointed for that reason. But other than that, for non-confidential, non-privileged information about both the parents and the children, I have a standard release form, and that's one of the things that we generally work with the attorneys on, and that's signed so that I can then have access as needed. You yeah. mentioned earlier that there's not something new out of the probate and family courts um, called a standing order. What's all that all about? So um, for many years, uh, those of us in the business said we practiced in the Wild West as far as uh, parenting coordination. There were really no guidelines and standards applicable to Massachusetts. In other states, there are legislation or specific case law, or specific rules of courts. And a couple of years ago, the Supreme Court was, the Supreme Judicial Court rather, was uh, faced with a case where there was an appointment made and one of the parties didn't agree to having the parenting coordinator. And the court decided that that is, you, a judge cannot do that generally, um, appoint someone without the client's consent. However, the court recognized the value of parenting coordination and asked the probate and, stand, and family court to uh, set up some guidelines and uh, parameters for this important function. It took a couple of years. They had a panel that was put together. And then, like I said, last week, um, they came out with uh, a set of rules and um, protocols that are going to be by starting effective starting January, uh, J July, rather, of uh, this year. Of 2017. 2017, right, yes. Right. So this is really hot off the press kind of news. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty good. It's pretty exciting. There's been a lot of chatter about it on uh, on uh, listservs. Uh, people still trying to figure out, what, you know, what yeah. are they in trying to accomplish in certain areas. But um, I think it's a very positive step forward for all of us. Can you give us some of the highlights of the new standing order from the court? Yeah, so to me, one of the most effective and important things is that the court has finally spoken to what is what are the qualifications that a person needs in order to, to be a parenting coordinator? Because prior to that, anyone could say that they were a parenting coordinator. And in specific, you have to have 30 hours of mediation training, um, which is uh, here in Massachusetts necessary to be recognized as a mediator. You need six hours of training on intimate partner violence um, and, and family, uh, family issues, and then 35 hours of specialized training 
in subjects like conflict management or uh, development of children, the dynamics of a high-conflict family, parenting skills, problem-solving. And these courses um, – the court has already approved a set of these courses that um, – parenting coordinators having completed will uh, be deemed qualified uh, with. And then there's an application process that you send in your application to the court and the court, once it approves it, will appoint you to be on a list uh, in up to four counties where then judges, lawyers, and clients can look and possibly select you. Uh, I see. So the, so the judge can either appoint you if you're on the list or the the spouses, the, the parents can choose you. Is that right? Correct. Or attorneys can recommend, oh, geez, Tony works in this county. There are provisions in the rules that if somebody is not on the list but is deemed otherwise qualified and the judge finds that, that that person also can be picked and, and appointed as a parenting coordinator. So since the qualifications are now in this new court order, do you think it will elevate the quality of parent coordinating? I do. I think that um, uh, even in conversations with uh, some of my colleagues, they've looked and said, you know what, not in, not really interested in doing all that training. I'm going to go back to just being a straight mediator or, uh, you know, a collaborative lawyer or something of that nature. Not and for those, for those of us who enjoy, I'm, a, I'm an education junkie. I'll take workshops and uh, personal development courses as much as I can. Um, you know, it'll be a, a, a positive uh, inspiration because there's also a requirement that you have to take you have to take uh, six hours a year, I think, going forward. Of continuing uh, education. Continuing yeah. education, yeah. 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 All right. What other highlights are there of the new standing order? So, so um, it. W the other thing that's great about it is that it finally is giving some areas of concern. So these are the things that a parenting coordinator can do, and these are the things that a parenting coordinator cannot do. So there's some specific definition around the uh, authority that a parenting coordinator has. Um, for example, I, as a parenting coordinator under the guidelines and now under the rule, do not have the authority to change a court-entered parenting schedule if it's going to impact uh, child support. I can make a temporary – and I've now got permission under the rule. It's, it, it's codified that I have permission to make a temporary change to accommodate a situation. Say, for example, one parent's um, parent died. And it happens to be the other parent's weekend, and they say, no, you can't have the children. They're not going to go to their grandparents' wake. Well, you know, that's – I would get involved in a situation like that and be able to switch weekends or do something of that nature you to help, create uh, you know, resolve exceptions the then. So you can exactly. create exceptions to the parenting plan. Yes, as long as they're not permanent and they don't impact um, the, uh, the child um, support. I understand. Okay. Yeah. So you can do that now, or starting I, July one at least. Starting starting July one, you know mm -hmm. that that's a permissible permissible activity. I can I can go to court actually under the order if I determine that there's something going on with the child, and say the child's in therapy, and the child I need to get access to that information. I can go to court and file a motion asking the judge to appoint a guardian ad litem to stand in the child's place and decide is the privilege going to be waived or not. That's okay. a that's a, a new um, function. So you the can other, take that. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. that means that you can take an independent action if you have a particular concern about a child. Yes, in the case of, uh, and particularly in the case of uh, physical or emotional danger, I would have the right to go to court, file a motion, and ask for an emergency hearing. I see. 
Right? Yeah. It gives you a lot of power. It does. On the other hand, I can't communicate with the court ex parte. I can't send letters or write. And anything that I serve, anything that I that I enter in court, I have to serve on the attorneys and um, and on the uh, parties. Right. So um, if there were a trial on a parenting plan issue or a custody issue, mm-hmm. could you be called to testify under the new standing order? Yeah. So under the new standing order, I'm I am not recognized as a professional, as a an expert witness, but I can be called as a fact witness. <clears throat> Excuse me. In my practice, I strictly limit that and say that I will not go to court as a fact witness because I use a product called Our Family Wizard to do my work, and in that um, platform, anything that is uh, exchanged between the parents and me. Um, I've had everybody agree is going to be admissible in court. That software, my your family wizard, is some software for scheduling purposes, right? Well, you know, and that's what everybody originally thought. It was just for scheduling because it's got this cool calendar feature and it's got a trade feature. There's much more uh, dynamicism to it. It was developed in Minnesota in conjunction with the family court. So uh, parents can do things like uh, make private journal entries. They can actually uh, exchange and track finances. So who's paying what for um, uh, split costs on, say, doctor's fees and things of that nature? Um, Excuse me. And there's an email function that allows me as the professional to have access and just watch the transactions as they occur. And then if needed, I get copied and then I can uh, weigh in on a particular issue. Uh, So you can kind of you can read the communications between the two parents on parenting issues and potentially financial issues. Absolutely. Just kind of ah. monitor. It's a great tool because sometimes I'll see things happen where things are going a little bit awry. Um, one of the things that I, uh, I do is I have some pretty uh, specific communication tools that I uh, offer to clients. And if I see that they're not necessarily um, using them to their best advantage, I may weigh in and have a private conversation. Hey, John, um, you know, remember this, and why don't you uh, try reframing that uh, and and communicating again in a more effective way? That's interesting. I'd like to talk about those communication tools in a minute when we finish with the standing order. Sure. Anything else you would like to highlight? Um, the, um, the other thing that that I think is very important is that it, it the, the the court has delineated that we can't have conflicts of interest as a parenting coordinator. So I couldn't be an attorney or a GAL or um, a therapist, and then for that same family serve as their parenting coordinator. Because the goal here is to really have the parenting coordinator be a neutral, unbiased person. We all have biases, but we have to kind of, we have to monitor those and, and to be there as a, uh, an objective resource. So, so that's, uh, that's very, uh, that's very important. And the other thing that's uh, interesting in the rule, and I think important, uh, is that if there is domestic violence, in a relationship, the court now is required to um, instruct the clients that they they have the opportunity and the right to go consult with an attorney or a domestic violence advocate. And if domestic violence remains as a real concern, the court is prohibited from um, uh, appointing a parenting coordinator uh, over the objection of a party. What's the basis for that? So... I'm I'm a little bit puzzled by it because I have cases where there are restraining orders. And what I've done is I've done workarounds with the process to accommodate the restraining order. So have one party go to court and get it done. I don't know quite what the court's thinking is here. That's interesting. Well, but let's back up one second. A restraining order is a restraining order by one 
parent takes out against the other parent because of fear of imminent harm. Yeah, the abuse protection orders are 209A orders that we talk about. Those are all the same things. Yeah. Restraining orders. Yeah, so that must be make your job a little more difficult if there's a restraining order prohibiting the parents from speaking to one another. It, it, it sure does. And I've I recently, last week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a client have to go go to court and have permission from the judge who issued the order, so that the other parent could participate in a conference call and or a meeting. And in yeah. that particular case, the mother wasn't comfortable having dad at the meeting, so we we're, we're just doing things on conference calls. I see. And that's a workaround that, that, that I do. In, in, in the case of those parenting coordinators who do physical uh, face-to-face meetings, they'll do things like have one parent come early and have the other one leave and, and do things to separate or have people in two different rooms and do shuttle diplomacy. Mm-hmm. So there are means by which the professionals can accommodate the, the need of the, the uh, um that's that's set out to be saved in the in the abuse and protection protective order to have it say a blanket no you're not going to have a parenting coordinator if one parent doesn't want it i think it has a potential for a negative impact on the children because and that's what it's all about right it's trying to get these folks to learn how to parent better and separate their conflict from the children yes right. so they're deprived of the opportunity of having somebody teach them that that's, that's quite true. It is interesting that that's carved out of the order. Yeah, yeah. I wish there were some uh, comments or notes that came with it so that we could have a, a an informed discussion about it. But um, I'm sure it'll I'm sure it'll shake out. And I, as with most orders, I would imagine at some point once it's in place for a year or so, there's probably going to be some changes. Yeah, it reminds me of when the Alimony Reform Act began in March 2012. It was revolutionary here in Massachusetts, but it was still didn't answer a lot of questions, and it's taken a while to sort it all out. And same thing with this new parent coordinator order. Yeah, it's going to take and some time for sure. I imagine. There's a section of the parent, the new uh, standing order that talks about the things that you can do, and I, I have it in front of me, and there are at least 11 different points. Yeah. So I'm going to read a couple of them and jump in. We can talk about some Absolutely, of them. Absolutely, yeah. Just so the audience has some ideas of when you can intervene. Mm-hmm. So the first one says minor changes or clarifications of the existing parenting plan. So yeah. you can make those. We talked about that a little bit before, the temporary exactly. changes, right, yep. that don't yep. affect child support. The second yep. one listed is exchanges of the child, um, including date, time, place, means, and responsibilities yep. for transportation. So, so that's logistics. This yeah. is, well, logistics, but a lot of times parents will, will, will decide or the court will say, okay, go change the ch- – you will exchange the children at the police station because it's uh, th- there's too much conflict between you. I'm not comfortable with police stations being the place to do that. I think it sends the wrong message to the children. So I may say, okay, let's go to a library or let's go to a McDonald's or if necessary, the way I understand this – you guys will no longer exchange the children. You'll have a third-party surrogate who will bring the children from one place to the other because you haven't been able to work well under the existing guidelines. And I have those I have those opportunities um, now specifically given to me under the rule. Okay. The, uh, the next point in the order talks about your authority to help parents on educational or daycare decisions, including school choice, yep. tutoring, summer school, before and after school care, participation in special education testing and programs or other educational decisions. So you can get involved in that. Yes, normally uh, th- that's one of the functions that um, sometimes parents will, uh, in existing orders now, uh, give to a parenting coordinator. And the important thing here is that 
everyone recognizes that the parenting coordinator to be effective is going to be that objective source. So as a, an interest-based mediator, one of the things that we know is having a standard against which we look at a decision is important. So here I might want to go speak to teachers, speak to um, an education specialist, a special education specialist if that's the particular need, and get that person to give us some standards against which we can um, look at the parents' positions or interests and then make the decision for the child. So you're like a step-in third parent sometimes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's often referred to as being the parent for the parents. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. At the yeah. next point in the order is enrichment and extracurricular activities, including camps and jobs. I've had cases where this has been a high area of conflict, these extracurricular activities. Mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. many activities the children should have? Yep. Whether both parents buy into those activities, <laughs> yep. whether how the extracurricular activities impact parenting time. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've seen that too, I imagine. Oh, it's it's a very hot area, and 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 it's one that will take up probably the most amount of a parenting coordinator's time uh, until you know the parents can come to some type of an agreement. And if they can't, I have to make the decision. Uh, so that's that's the biggest area that you're. Yeah, addressed. that's for, for me so far in my practice. That has been the hot spot. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the next one is the child's travel and passport arrangements. That comes up rarely, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think I'm wondering if they mean that you no longer have to bring the passport to the probation department and now the parenting coordinator is going to get stuck with it. I don't know. Yeah. You know. I've had situations where parents disagree about who's going to hold the passport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and about travel plans for this particular week, for example, you know, oh, school February week. school vacation week, right? I've <laughs> <laughs> had some issues over yeah. the past couple of days on that. I'm so pleased to report that I just had a client, a couple of clients that are very high conflict. They worked it out on their own in two emails, like on Monday. I am so Fantastic. pleased for both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you see? Hopefully, you see progress over time with your involvement. Yeah. Uh, the next one is clothing, equipment, and personal possessions of the children. Yeah, we all I, know that story. You know, I sent you uh, clean clothes, you gave me back dirty clothes. Or I, I, I had one situation where, no, I will not send you the child's ski helmet because you didn't return his pajamas. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, I know. It gets a little crazy sometimes, huh? Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you get involved in these kinds of things. It doesn't um, make sense for attorneys to get involved in those kinds yeah. of disputes. Uh, the next one is a means of communication by a party with, with the child or children when they're not in that party's care. Yeah. That means like Skype or FaceTime or telephone. Telephone. A lot of times I'll get specific orders uh, or, or, I'm sorry, specific agreements between the parents as to how communication will happen. And one of the new things that is very clear in this uh, order, in the past, um, if I could facilitate a discussion among the parents and get them to agree that they would not go with the stipulation that was in the court and go with a new stipulation that's written with me and published in Our Family Wizard, that was sufficient. Under the new standing order now, that um, new agreement has to be brought to court and ratified by the court before, it is before it's valid. It's effective, but it's just not recognized as valid. Well, you make a good point because on the one hand, the new order gives parent coordinators a lot more authority to, to make more decisions. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, the court needs to approve of all those decisions. Absolutely. Whereas yeah. the, the court didn't need to do that before. In the past, if the, par the parties agreed and it was in writing, it was good enough, but now, uh, you know, and I think this is, uh, again, it's a step in the right direction. 
I'm concerned about the implementation. Uh, I would hope that if counsel went in with a, stip a written stipulation and just filed it, that a judge would would adopt that as opposed to having to have an, another hearing or something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. In a way, it limits flexibility because you know circumstances change all the time with children. Exactly. And you can't run into court with a new stipulation every time you want to change something. I know. I know. And yeah. and you know the court the, the court's got a, a lot of burden and not a lot of time, so it, it's 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 further drain on the resources. Yeah. Uh, the next item of the order that we're talking about it's under Section 7 is yep. um, the role in contact with significant others and extended families. Yeah. So grandparents. Have, grandparents, like um, you know, live-in boyfriends, boyfriends that are, are – mm -hmm. I've had situations where I've been able to get parties to make agreements that we will wait six months – uh, before of of constant relationship before we will introduce the children to um, our significant other, and then we'll talk about what are the desires and needs. How do we want that introduction to happen? And we can set up a way that is consistent with the children's needs to have it be a, an easy, stepped-up process of introducing the new person into their lives, as opposed to, "Hi, this is Joe, and he's going to stay over tonight." You know. Right. I find that this is a very hot button issue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what happens is people, this is where the parents tend to look at it as my right, my – you don't have the say. And they get blinded to, wait a minute, what's the impact on the children? Yeah. You've just broken up with dad. You've separated from dad, and now you want to introduce Joe into the equation. Who's he? How long is he going to be here? What role does he have in my life? Yeah. So if we yeah. have the conversations in advance and, and, and parents can come to agreement because there you have your buy-in – and and it's gonna be it's gonna be more likely to be followed. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. introduction of boyfriends and girlfriends and during and following divorce is a very controversial issue. Yeah, yeah. I always um, it's for clients when they ask me if they can date during divorce. I say nothing prohibiting you from doing so, but it's inflammatory. Yeah. Because if the other spouse parent sees it, yep. uh, they're always, they're never happy about that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> it may not have anything to do with the children. No. They have to do with other psychological issues, but nevertheless, unfortunately, normally it doesn't have a lot to do with the children when I <laughs> no. when I get involved. But I shift that That's perspective right. as best I can. That's right. All right, we have three more points. Uh, the next is psychotherapy or other mental health care. That's yep. therapy for the children, I imagine, or yeah. for the parents even. Therapy for the children and the parents. Um, here, I'm looking to um, make sure I'll give the AFCC guidelines for court-involved therapists. My primary concern is to make sure that people are not working at odds. So, mom's therapist and dad's therapist, they have their goals, and the goal they're in alignment on the goals. And that they each understand – it's very important with therapists – that they each understand everything you are hearing is filtered through your client and everything you hear is filtered through your client. There is another side to this story. Don't get – you know, you get transference. You get all kinds of issues that can, uh, that can, that can complicate the process. I mean when a parent has a therapist that that therapist may buy in too much to that – their client's position and their not see the other side. And not see the other yeah. side or, or, or um, you know, just – just totally, just totally um, be working in a way that's counter to what the other therapist is working for, working on as far as goal, you know. So and because you have releases from both parents, you can talk to both therapists. Yes, right? and, and and those releases can and I those releases can be substantive. Although I generally do not want to get into the substance of what's going on in the therapy. My my the purpose of my release is I want to talk to them to make sure that a. If you're supposed to be in therapy, that you are in therapy and you're you're meaningfully involved. And if you're not, then I have to take some actions. And then 
are the goals that you're working with your therapist on consistent with the goals that the, maybe the, even the child's therapist is working on or the other parent? I see. So oh. you're kind of monitoring the situation. Monitor. I may get everybody together on a conference call to, to talk about it, to meet mm -hmm. each other. Where are we? Is everybody squared away? You know who, if you have something that you need to talk about, you have permission to talk with each other. Yeah, and, that seems like an important function. Yeah, yeah, it's a coordination role. Right. All right, two more. Uh, next is psychological testing or assessments of the children. Mm -hmm. You could make recommendations about that. Yeah, I would make recommendations. And here what I do, Hindel, is I make sure that whoever is going to do the evaluation is not a provider of services. I want somebody who has no interest other than to do an objective test. And again, as I mentioned earlier, give us that objective standard against which we're going to now have a discussion so that the needs are clearly outlined, the strengths and challenges are there. And then together with the parents or the parents and the therapists themselves can outline a plan that's going to best meet the child's needs. Good. And uh, finally, religious observances and education. Mm. you get into that very much? Yeah, I've had situations where, um, for example, we go to church every Sunday morning, and I know Johnny is supposed to go play basketball, but, you know, that interferes with church, so I'm not taking him to basketball. And, you know, it's a dicey issue. You start to get into First Amendment issues and, and you mm. know, are there other times for the services? Are there other basketball programs? You know, we try and find a compromise, and if not, then we have to make a decision. So uh, as a parent coordinator, you get to make – if the parents give you this authority, you can make binding decisions about yeah. church or basketball. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. That's great. We've gone through a lot of substance here, and your job is quite complicated. I have a lot of respect for parent coordinators, including you. Thank you. Um, so I'm wondering, do you have some effective tools that you've learned over time that you want to recommend to our audience? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah? So, so the first is um, kind of a recognition that most of the time parenting coordinators, such as myself, I'm an attorney parenting coordinator, not a mental health parenting coordinator. So I tend to get involved in those real high conflict cases where parents, uh, you know, when they come to me, sometimes they don't even want the other parent to have air. They don't want them to breathe. So I have to <laughs> educate them on um, some very effective ways to communicate. I draw on the work of Bill Eddy, who is, um, the, has a place in California called the, the High Conflict Institute. He's published a number of books and, and articles. He's available on YouTube for anybody, any parent who wants to look at him. Um, he's got a uh, process called BIF. So when parents are communicating with each other, particularly by email, they are instructed to be brief, informative, friendly, and firm. So I limit the um, communication to one subject. Don't raise four or five subjects in an email. Give a title to it. Raise that issue. State your concern in a respectful, polite, but brief way. Give information. Have a greeting. Hello. How are you? Gee, I hope you have a nice weekend. Thank you for considering this. And, and firm. This is my position. That's what I'm going to do. And you find this effective? I do. I do. It, 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 sometimes, sometimes there just has to be information exchanged or positions or interests um, exchanged. And it tends to get muddied when um, the, all of the other emotion gets in the way. 
Mm-hmm. So, so I instruct them to to use Biff in those circumstances. The other one is um, nonviolent communication. This is a, a communication protocol I've used in my coaching practice for uh, oh god, almost ten years now. Um, Marshall Rosenberg uh, created it, and it's a four-step process. So I noticed that this happened, and when that happened, I, I got this feeling, and that made me aware that I have a need for something. So will you do this for me or will you do that going forward? Those are the four steps. The four steps. It's Mm -hmm. kind of a soft startup, easy way to communicate a concern that is more I-focused and we-focused than, hey, you didn't put the clothes in the bag again and, you know, I'm not sending you any more clothes. Got it. You know, it makes it, sense. Yeah, it's it's really effective. The other thing that uh, is is very important, and and when clients use this tool, it eliminates a lot of uh, problems. It's called a transition email. So every time the children are going to change parent time with mom or dad, the parent who has had the parenting time will have a brief summary of topics that they agree. If there's any substantive change, I will let you know. So school homework, uh, clothes, activities with friends. And we go through it. With young kids, it could be feeding schedules or illnesses and medication. And there's a set uh, range of topics that are there. I have them cut and paste them into Our Family Wizard. And if there's no change, no need to comment. But if there's a change, you comment. And that changes the uh, dynamic of the transition with the kids where, you know, I'm reaching in my backpack, you're going into your car. Oh, by the way, they did this. Here's the amoxicillin. You know, it mm-hmm. kind of um, lends a, a degree of um, stability to the process in a very mm. easy way. Fantastic. Yeah. So by encouraging better communication between parents, we hope that children will grow up healthier mm. in less conflict. That's right. And with the assistance of parent coordinators, we hope that the communication will improve. That's and, right. Uh, That's right. And less it's, acrimonious it's, divorces. Wouldn't wouldn't that wouldn't that be nice? I, I've always said, Hindel, it, it blows my mind that uh, as a society we've decided that the most sacred contract that two people can make is best dissolved by having them get their surrogates go into court and fight it out. It's it's mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. just it's contrary to everything that brought them together in the first place. It but is. Uh, you know, as, as you know in your practice, sometimes that has to happen. I wish there were a better way. Well, right. there, are, there are some better ways, mediation, collaborative yeah. law. There are some there are kinder, some gentler get... ways of getting divorced, right? Yep, that's right. Okay. That's right. So, right. And Good. like well, I said, you said earlier, it's all about the kids. Remember, guys, mm-hmm. your relationship's over. You're out of the intimate relationship. You're now into a new relationship of the business of co-parenting your children. You're absolutely right. Well, Tony Pelusi, thank you so much. I've enjoyed our podcast conversation yeah, today. And I, I hope uh, the audience has appreciated all the wisdom you've given us. I hope that there's something that someone takes away and can use to their benefit. That would make me very happy. Good. All right, this is Hindel Grossman. We've been talking about parent coordinators and the new uh, probate and family court standing order, among many other topics, with Tony Pelusi. This is Inside Divorce, a series of podcasts. Thanks. If you'd like more information about the topics covered in our podcast, please contact us at Grossman & Associates. You'll find a competent and experienced team of compassionate, responsive, and innovative legal professionals. Email me at hindel at grossmanltd.com 
my first name is spelled H-I-N-D-E-L-L, or call us at 617-969-0069. Thank you for listening.